Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Hones. <laughs> Hones. Coming to you for a podcast on the road. You're on the road listening to us, and Peyton is on the road delivering this. Absolutely. You know, we haven't done one of these while I'm in the car since we talked about the transvestite prostitute using the ladies' room on a Sunday and what to do. Was that the episode we did it? Yeah. Really? I was on the way I was on my way to the hospital to see my baby who was uh yeah, being treated for pneumonia. Interestingly enough, that is one of our most popular podcasts, one of our most downloaded podcasts. Absolutely. What to do Absolutely. when you've got a transsexual changing in the main bathroom. That was the Absolutely. Uh, official title. So Yeah, yeah. I think you actually put prostitute in there too, didn't you? No, I don't think I did. <laughs> you didn't? No. It's more provocative title. Yeah, but then it just starts to be unbelievable, even though it's true. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Absolutely. I think you should so, tell everyone hey, what, what you just did for the last two hours. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, this is bad. Like, I... I don't know, man. If can I you even say it like now that. that I think about it? Can you say it? Because yes, your wife can, listens but, to the but podcast. here's the deal. No, no, we're all right. But uh, here's the deal, man. The uh, If I didn't enjoy it so much, I'd probably have to preach against it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So what is it? Tell everyone. I watched Pacific Rim. Woohoo! In 3D. For our other podcast. In 3D in the Mitchell in, movie room. In 
three stinking days. And it was cool, and huh? I, you know what? It was the stupidest cool movie I've ever seen <laughs> or the coolest stupidest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, the movie room, the 3D was cool, wasn't it? Dude, except you didn't pop me popcorn. No. I, I got the lazy boy. I kicked the seat back. I'm looking at the 100-inch on the Sony 3D Blu-ray disc player with my 3D glasses on, but I'm not complaining about no popcorn. I had a burrito from Chipotle on my lap. I'm just saying. But, I've been to the other side. But what else did I give you? I gave you something better than popcorn. <laughs> We're not allowed to talk about that. I can't say? You can say. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> cherry wheat. I gave a Speaking Samuel cherry Adams wheat. cherry wheat. Baby, just like the the greatest beer ever made. I'm telling you what. I feel like that 3D is... It's going to be around for a while, Pete. That's all I'm saying. Most of our church planners have never experienced it because they, uh, well, let, let, let's just say they're church planners and they're poor, like me. <laughs> and they don't have 3D uh, Blu-ray disc players. I, I'm just saying I need to go to your house a lot. Well, that, the catch is it's not enough just to have a 3D Blu-ray. You also have to have a 3D TV. So, like, you need the three pieces. Uh, technically, you oh, need really? four. You need a 3D-compatible TV. You need a 3D Blu-ray player. You need the 3D active glasses. And you need, obviously, a 3D movie. So, if you don't have all of those, you can't watch it in 3D. Because that's the same Blu-ray I've had for a long time, but I never had the 3D TV. So... I think, you know what's funny is I actually think I have a 3D TV. I just don't know how to use it. Really? When I moved back from the mission, yeah, I moved back and I, I needed a TV. I went in there and I bought, like, you know, the whole deal that you buy. And uh, they had, like, some coupon for 3D. Uh, what's the one with the blue people jamming around in it? Avatar. Cameron? Avatar. Avatar. I didn't see that either. I fell asleep during that thing. And, uh, Pacific Rim we watched today, and, and I'm telling you, oh, yeah, this is the part where I got bored and switched it off. I, I fell asleep <laughs> through part of it, and uh, I'm like, previously, oh, bored of it. Previously. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But today, I was riveted on that thing, man. That was incredible. I watched incredible. I literally felt like there were giants and monsters fighting right in front of me, dripping water on my face. It's so clear. Like I like I said, I like my 3D movie room better than going to a 3D movie at the theater. Like to me it looks I better. I think I think you like it better than doing anything else in the universe cuz after going in there I'm like, well, everything forget everything else. I'm not church planting anymore. Almost I'm not, everything. Uh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm going to just live at your house. Almost and, uh, everything. That's all I'm saying. There's, there's at least one thing I can I'm, think of I would rather do than watch a 3D movie. I'm just saying that. Well, two, two, praying and reading your Bible. But <laughs> I almost, before I left, I almost went and hid in your kitchen cupboard and, like, just, you know, just was going to hide. You know, just camp out. And I'd come out at night like Robinson Crusoe, scrounge to your refrigerator, hook the headphones up, 
watch something else, Commando or whatever. Last night, I did see Avatar in 3D, and uh, once he starts flying on whatever that creature is, that's when it gets really good in 3D. I mean, it's incredible in 3D after that. You know, that's the thing, though, is when you're watching these movies, right, it's kind of like you don't want to, like, like when we were watching, uh, what's the one we just watched again? Pacific Rim. What's it called? Pacific Rim, yeah. So, like, you're just kind of like, hey, stop talking. Actors, stop talking. We don't need any story. This movie needs no story. All it needs is robots and monsters beating the crud out of each other. That's all we need. Pretty the whole much. time. Yeah. 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 So it was good. It was good. So you made me a believer. I actually, Pete Mitchell has made his first convert. I now believe. I love it. I love it. And it is. It's the greatest. So that's an open invitation to all church planners. Come on over to my house and we'll watch a movie in 3D. That's all I'm saying. Amen. I'm just throwing yeah. it out there. Wait, 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 wait. I thought it was just me. Uh, well, I'm going to open it up I- to all church planners. But when they call me or try and message me on Facebook, I'm ignoring them. You know. Because they're crazy. Oh, okay. They're church planners. Say, I'm, I'm going through a 3D movie envy now. Hey, I'm telling you, the door is always open. X-Men in 3D was excellent. Predator in 3D. They went back and remastered that in 3D. That was awesome. Uh, Jurassic Park in 3D was good. I didn't think it was great, only because there's a difference when it's not shot in 3D and they go back and they remaster it. Like there's a yeah. lot of foreground images that Steven Spielberg liked to use that are fine in a 2D world, but in 3D they're blurry, intentionally blurry, and it just it doesn't look good. So I mean, yeah. I, I would no, say Jurassic absolutely. Park was good. It was good, but I can't give it you know I can't give it the great marks. So. No, no, I get you, I get you. And you know what? What's cool is like you've seen I think all the 3D movies that are out now, except you you actually held off on seeing this until I could get down to your house. And all I'm saying, it's true. True love waits, man. Thank you. <laughs> you truly love me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I didn't even ask you before we started what today's topic was. What is today's topic? <laughs> okay. Wait, wait a second. Now. Okay. Today's topic is Christian celebrity. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? That's going to be an interesting one. Do we have any more smack talk, or should we just get into our topic? I I think we're done with the old smack talk, but uh, is Yoda talking today? Yoda's always talking. Are, are you going to do Yoda, or are we going to do our can? Well, our, our Yoda in, in the can? In my head. In my head, if I don't take those meds. But, uh, yeah, we can hear from him. All right, here we go. Here's Here's Yoda. Welcome, you are. This week's episode of the Church Planter Podcast is brought to you by Mogive. Mm, an imposter there is. Kick his butt, I will. Mm, M-O-G-I-V. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, the best. That was the best. It was like someone was strangling a muppet. <laughs> Can't do it right now. I'm actually leaving tomorrow on a plane 
which is why I've been zipping around everywhere why I'm doing this on the road. But I, uh, I'm sending to the two guys that uh, we're doing planning at Oceanside together in the network I'm with, I'm sending them that clip tomorrow before I get on the airplane of Yoda hopping in the, uh, the old pod craft, leaving uh, Kashyyyk from episode three, where he's like, Missed you most of all. I will, Chewbacca. Oh, and then they're nice. both standing there watching it take off, going, <laughs> Right, right. I remember that. So I'm sending them that clip tomorrow. And uh, it, it's really funny if you if you watch that clip and then you, like, picture them going, Wait, you're saying we're like those dudes? <laughs> <laughs> they're all watching after him all longingly, all worried. That's uh, funny. So, hey. anyways, yeah. So, yeah. So, we do the bogey. We, we better. Yeah. Well, man, it's like. Their, their ads go like five minutes because we just punctuate them with absolute nonsense. Well, you know, the reality is if if you've got a church, you should have online giving. Absolutely. You know, Pete, I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, the whole time we were watching Pacific Rim today, I couldn't stop thinking about, man, I really need some <laughs> online giving. Well, do you need online giving or do you need a system for people to give you money online? Because those are actually two different things. Yeah, I need what you said, the other one. Or do you need people who will actually just pony up and give money? We actually do. If you guys are listening, hey, hop on to the, uh, the Kickstarter, man, and give us some money. <laughs> let's do a, let's or, do a commercial uh, oh wait, and I'm a commercial. Not to act like that. I love it. Okay, the Jump School, the Jump School, the Jump School Kickstarter. We're almost there. I'm, I'm guessing by the time this airs, we're only $1,000 away. <laughs> yeah. Right now it's four thousand. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, you're you're kind of hoping there. What I love I is how everyone says of... they're gonna. Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that. Um, when we get around to it, it's in the fruit basket, as uh, Vince Antonucci would say. I've learned with Kickstarter, some people put stuff like, "I can't wait to see this thing get funded." What they really mean is, "I can't wait to see other people fund this." Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> no kidding. I love it. Yeah, well, anyway, back to MoGive. Uh, if you are looking for online giving, if you've been using PayPal as a cheaper, easy placeholder, stop it. A better solution is here. MoGive, and that's spelled M-O-G-I-V. No E, just M-O-G-I-V. It's an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. Go to mogive.com forward slash choich to learn more. <laughs> Absolutely. I love right. it. And and yeah, and it will it will actually help you guys. That that's one of the okay, just so you know, if you go to all these kind of webinars and online webinars are like how to make your giving better at your church, basically all you do is you sit through that and they tell you to to set up a recurring giving system online so people don't have to A bring their checkbook. Or go online and enter a credit card every month because you know they're not going to do that. So it's a one-time deal. Once you get your church in, of course, it's a recurring payment. It's like what the gym does, right? They take it out. So um, that that's the secret, guys. And MoGive makes it really, really easy. Um, they're good guys, uh, and that's all I know. Yeah, and that's see, we use most people get um, paid. You know, the same day every month. It'll either be like fifteenth or last day, or every two weeks or at least monthly, like if they're a teacher. And so it totally makes sense in our society to set up a reoccurring payment model. 
Yeah. It's only Absolutely. like weird guys like me that are self-employed that's like, I don't know when money's coming in. Maybe today. Maybe at the end of the month. Who knows? But that's very rare. That's it, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think most people want to give. They just, you know, they're not often given the opportunity to give. This this is the answer. So don't go watch those webinars. Uh, just go to, go to mogive.com and sign up. Forward slash George. <laughs> Forward slash church. All right. Here's a little uh, Doc Brown for us. Right, Scott, it's time for this week's topic. So, uh, Peyton, what is this week's topic? I know I already asked you, and I've already forgotten. It's Christian celebrity and great Scott indeed. Pete, I don't think we've gotten our topic that fast in forever. You know what? It, we're still 15 minutes in. <laughs> Holy cow. That's true, because when we started broadcasting, I was in Huntington, and I'm already in the... Uh, Tribuco Canyon. So, yeah, I see. Yep, yep. So, uh, what do you got so, to say about Christian celebrities? Well, uh, I uh, going through Canyon. <laughs> just joking. Um, can you hear me? Okay, though. I can hear you just fine. All right, cool. So, okay, so Christian celebrity. There, there's been a, a a lot of talk recently about kind of like the Christian celebrity. Um, it, it it's I guess in a way it's it's kind of a problem, but it's not a new problem. It's been mm. around yeah. since the first century. Um, Paul Paul talked clearly about the fact that people were um, following Paul, some were following Apollos, and others were following Peter or Cephas. He says, and Paul just throws down the gauntlet and says, "Hey, wait a second! None of us were crucified for you. You know, you you need to have." your eyes on Jesus. And, and Paul never had a problem with, excuse me, with having people, uh, look at, um, at him. In fact, Paul would often say, look at me just as I'm looking at Jesus. But, uh, yeah, it, it does seem to be a thing though. I mean, right now you can see how like, uh, it, it can be a celebrity lifestyle. You've got green rooms, you've got, um, guys making anywhere from half a mil to over a million dollars. And I'm not talking about like through book sales. If a guy writes a book and it hits a bestseller list, heck, leave him alone, right? That's, that's his business. But I'm talking about like off the church or, you know, whatever. There is kind of like this Christian celebrity deal that, uh, to the point where now you're starting to see in pop culture where people are making jokes that, hey, if I, uh, if, if I really get hard up for cash, I'll go into the ministry. And, and then I'll be loaded. You really think there are a lot of people who are like that? I'll go into ministry because I'll make more money that way? I think that it's it's becoming enough of a thing right now to where it, it's becoming an issue. But hmm. but more than more than even the money, I think, is the, the amount of fame. And and like I said, it's not it's not a new problem. It's a very old problem. George Whitfield once said that it wasn't the failure or rejection of others that almost killed him, but the praise and adulation. You know, here was this young guy, same with Charles Spurgeon. Now, Charles Spurgeon goes into ministry at 16 years old, and he's the senior pastor of one of the fastest-growing churches uh, in the world at 17 years old. And um, and it just, it is, it's, it, it's an old problem. But, you know, throughout the ages, ministers have spoken to it, because obviously if, if God uses a guy, 
and kind of like Billy Graham, right? I mean, Billy Graham is just an anointed, gifted preacher of the gospel. And, and, and so on one hand, what I'm trying to tease out here is there is a Christian celebrityism, and there is a danger in it, but you can hear it almost sneered at as kind of like always a bad thing. And yet, at the same time, you look at guys, you know, we hear of Jay Hudson Teller, uh, definitely a celebrity, but was the guy, was he in sin, or was it wrong for him to be well-known? And so that's kind of what I want to tease out a little bit today. Hmm. What are the what are the parts that we should accept and should be viewed as normal in light of the gospel? And what are the parts that we need to kind of disentangle from that and say, well, actually, this probably ought to be avoided. These are dangers and pitfalls and problems that arise from the existence of Christian celebrity. Yeah, it's uh, that's it's it's an interesting issue because um, people are naturally drawn to what they can see and who they can see and uh yeah i mean it's going to be a problem that you're always going to have i mean one of the things that is a little bit unique kind of sort of i would say to the style of church that we do um there at refuge long beach is when you've got more than one person in the pulpit uh you don't I mean, you still have the whole celebrity, you know, thing possible there because there is yeah. like, like in our case, we've got Chris as the main teaching pastor and everyone knows yeah. he's the main teaching pastor because, uh, you know, they might have, you know, Cameron or, or, uh, Ruben or Bonomo, uh, do the first half of the service and, you know, he's like the cleanup hitter. He's going to come in. And, you know, if the other guy screwed it up, he's there to fix it. Um, but that's, I mean, they don't screw it up. But, you know, it's, it's almost like that yeah. kind of mentality of, yeah. uh, of you know, he's, he's the clinic. So you can still have, you know, the celebrityism even in a multiple-person pulpit like what we've got. Uh, but certainly in situations where, you know, there's one main dude. Um, you can be a celebrity even if it's not a major church. Like it can still go to your head. You know, you're you're the big fish in a small pond kind of phenomenon. You know, it's funny you say that because that's actually what you're dealing with today. Unless you're Rick Warren, you know, you're kind of a national figure. Um, you really can be a big fish in a small pond. And forget that this Christianity is really a small pond. I mean, it's not, it's not like, even if you talk to the, the Christian bestseller list, you know, chances are you're, you're still relatively unknown to the man on the street. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh-huh. And unless, like I said, you're a guy like Rick Warren or, or you're, uh, you know, you're, you're some figure like Billy Graham and those guys are really rare. Yeah. But, I think uh, the rarity you, in that situation is. Someone who reaches that level of fame who is still grounded in the gospel and is still grounded in um, in Christ, really. Because yeah. that that's the rarity of that situation. Most people, when they reach that level, then it becomes, well, I'm afraid to offend people. I'm afraid to do this. I'm afraid to do that because of what can happen kind of a thing. And um, yeah. those guys have kept the faith. And have yeah, uh, been faithful have, yeah. in in what they've been given, as far as you know, 
the, the yeah, pulpit, most definitely. so to speak. And, and I think you raise an interesting point. It's basically that those guys, when, they, when they've gotten to that level, they haven't watered down their message. And I think we applaud them, right? We kind of go, hey, way to go, Rick Warren. I'll never forget being in the U.K., and Fox News in the U.K. would just, you know, play incessantly. And British people would watch it, you know, because, hey, is this, this news channel from America. Um, and, and at that time, Fox News broadcast on their cable system before a lot of the other uh, news networks got over there, like MSNBC and stuff like that. And then what happened was, is it, remember now, when I first got there, they had just made the move over from BBC. We had like, you know, BBC One, BBC Two, and BBC Three. It was all nationalized television. And so then they, they started, when they had cable, and it came way later there than in America, um, all of a sudden you had, I remember Channel Four. It, was, it wasn't called BBC Four. It was called Channel Four. And then it went to ITV. It started branching out and all these things. And they got cable. Suddenly they could see American TV. Well, Rick Warren, with all the money that he got from Purpose Driven Life, he rented Fox News uh, during Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And, of course, that's the time of year where people start thinking about God if they never do. It's around Christmas time. And, um, and he rented that thing. And every hour, alternating um, every hour, would be him sharing his testimony about how he came to faith. And then him preaching a sermon about Jesus coming, coming to earth on Christmas. And I'm telling you, these things, it was like, I don't know how many millions of dollars that it cost. But I remember when we had that dinner with him that night, I thanked him. I said, look, man, all I can tell you is for 48 hours straight, I don't know how much it cost you, but you got into the homes of British people and you preached a straight up gospel. And I want to thank you as a missionary over there during that time. I was blown away by that because I knew that was costing you a, a bomb and that you guys weren't church planting over there. You got nothing out of that other than you just genuinely were preaching the gospel to them. He basically hijacked a whole cable station for two days. That was just awesome. And, and, and when you watch Rick Warren, they ask him the heart he was on Pierce. They ask him uh, Pierce Morgan. They ask him all the hard questions. And I remember Pierce Morgan saying, but Rick, Rick, I respect you so much. This is, this is where I find it hard to hear what I know you're going to say next. And then he asked him the question about homosexuality. And, uh, and Rick just gives these, the most brilliant, most biblically based answer. And yet an answer that, you know, gives hope for all, you know, but, but doesn't deviate from the, from the scripture, doesn't compromise the message of Jesus. And I was just like, man, well done. Like, when you see a guy like that, kind of like not just hit Christian celebrity, but actually get a world or global platform, you're like, okay, I'm glad. So it's not in itself a bad thing. I think the question is, how is he? How is how are people using it? And of course, in Billy Graham's case and in Rick Warren's case, they're doing it very well. What are your thoughts on? People who uh, used to adhere to a uh, Christian belief, a Christian lifestyle, a Christian anything, and then um, now are very vocal that they don't. And um, I mean, I could give you an example. I, I don't. I don't think I want to use this actual person as my example. But there was a situation uh, the other day where um, at church, you know, one of the guys was like, "Hey." Uh, 
don't watch the halftime show. You know, the gal who's doing it, she's totally blasting Christians and has given up on her faith. And and I just remember, like, my comment was, yeah, but God still died for her. <laughs> he was like, absolutely. Well, well yeah, yeah, but, but, you know, let's not watch it. You know, let's, let's not watch it. And, and I'm <laughs> like, silently protest. Yeah, I guess. And I mean, I know where he's coming from, but at the same time, I'm, I'm torn because I know where I used to be. And I used to be like very, you know, hot and cold like that. Oh, they're not one of us anymore. You know, they're slamming Christianity. Let's, uh, let's just ignore them and write them off. And they're now evil. They're part of the fallen. They're pagan as if, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, like none of us are, Like they're traitors. They're labeled as traitors, much like the Pharisees labeled the tax collector. So basically, it's the modern day tax law. You're a traitor to the faith. You're a traitor to the people of God, which is what a publican or a tax collector was in Jesus' time. Of course, Jesus sought those guys out, right? Yeah. So I I guess that would be my view, really, would be, you know, I'm just looking at how Jesus reacted to those guys. You know, saying that about the Super Bowl, one of the things that I found just very intriguing. Hey, I should I should also throw out there that I actually didn't watch the Super Bowl halftime, but then I didn't watch the Super but, Bowl either. So you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I went to the movies. That's, Theater was empty. It was awesome. I ain't watching no foosball. Is it devil? <laughs> Water boy. But, hey, listen, Bobby Boucher. Here's the thing, right? I gotta say about that uh, that Super Bowl. Um, two things that stick out to me. Number one, such fatherhood theme, and um, that that just was you know fatherhood is a universal thing in the heart of man where you know we all we all are 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 part like you know like Paul says you know we're all his children you know we are all his offspring and all of us feel that longing for God right and so fatherhood is a universal thing that's been hardwired into creation that it is a picture of God. And so when your father goes very wrong, the dent in the impact, the negative impact that has on you, it can destroy you. But when you've had a great father, um, the opposite is true. You know, it, 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 it goes a long way. And so when I see fatherhood as kind of like the, the cry of the heart coming out through pop culture, so many films made about fathers, so many uh, uh, commercials that were on the, the Super Bowl were about fatherhood. Um, it just kind of goes to show you that uh, that that is a cry in the heart of man, and that that stuck out to me. I'm always watching stuff through those kinds of eyes, but but one thing I did notice about the half bowl, uh, the the half halftime show on the Super Bowl, and and I was happy. I was like, this is the most wholesome thing I've I've seen in the Super Bowl. Like I could watch that with my daughter, and for the first time in years at the halftime show not have to explain, Daddy, why is that girl doing that? I don't know, you know, but uh, this time it was just, it was actually pretty wholesome. So I, I was, I was kind of like, hey, thanks, Super Bowl. You know, you, you didn't make it awkward for me and my six-year-old. I appreciate that. Hmm. Interesting. But you have no clue what I'm talking about, but no. hey, so let's talk about, let's talk. So we've hit a little bit on the good of Christian celebrity. You know, some of that is, the platform, um, you know, the, the potential to do good. And I, I would just want to raise um, where, uh, where um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 
he talks about, he doesn't mention who it is, but he says, but our brother who is famed for his preaching of the gospel. And, and he mentions him elsewhere as being our brother who is well known to you. Um, so he mentions this brother who is famed and well known. And so, the, the, you know, whether it's, it's, it's Peter, I don't think, I actually believe that he's talking about Apollos because he mentions Apollos in first Corinthians as being, you know, someone who, Hey, we follow after him. He had a deep impact on those people. And of course, Paul, you know, again, gets them all to look at Jesus, but Paul mentions that he's well known for his preaching of the gospel as if it's a good thing, almost like a Billy Graham thing. And so I have to be honest, Christian celebrity is not something I am in love with. I, I actually find it kind of disgusting because, and I'm, and I'm giving the positives here because I, I do find that there can be a, um, a very, very dark and negative side to Christian celebrity. And I think we got to be careful about it. But I, but, but before I say that, I also have to point out that Paul doesn't mention it as if it's a problem. He mentions it as if it is a given. And so when I say it's an old problem, going back to Jay Hudson Taylor or George Whitfield or, you know, other people too, it, it, it's an older problem even than church history. It's, it's, it's something, you know, or whether you want to call it a problem, it's a factor. It's an issue that's been very, very old since the dawn of the church. Um, you know, and, and, and if you remember, God even says to uh, to Abraham, part of the covenant is he says, I will make you great, and I will make your name great. And then I'll bless you and make you a blessing to the nation. So there, there seems to be this idea that sometimes God does raise people to a place of prominence so that they can have impact. Hmm. So let's talk about some of the negative sides. Yeah. There's a lot. You can almost pick any topic you want when it comes to the negative side. Well, we've, we've encountered some of it. I mean, you and I have encountered some of it. I, I can remember back when I was young, um, kind of feeling with, with pastors that there was almost kind of like a, you know, like if you see a pastor out in public, often it's like they, they do often, probably because they're public figures, they, they can act kind of like, you know, um, Mr. So-and-so must not be bothered now, or they don't want to stop and talk. And it might be that they've had, in fairness now, like a million dudes climb on all over them. You know, kind of like where Jesus, the, the crowds would be all over him, be all after him, and then he'd need to go to a boat, you know, and, and collapse in the heat. Or he'd go to, it would tell us that these crowds are following him, and he gets in a boat, he preaches in the boat, and he shoves off to the opposite part of, of, of the, the Sea of Galilee. And the people literally skirt around the entire, it says that people got in the boats and followed him. So he's just trying to get away, right? But then it says that the crowds go around the bank and meet him on the other side. It takes him about a day, but eventually they catch up with him there. And, uh, and, and so I get the idea that you've got to be alone, but... I remember at a young age kind of thinking, like, that's, that's too bad. Like, they can't just be regular dudes, you know? They can't just, like, hang out, you know? And uh, and that, that's kind of got to be hard to, to feel 
like you're in a place where you just can't stop and talk to people and almost becomes the celebrity at times can get in the way of actually just ministering to people. And I remember Lance Ford said something recently where he goes at our conferences, this is on hardcore church planning. He goes, we don't have green rooms simply because uh, afterwards we want people to go out and actually talk and minister. And, you know, Hey, that's a novel concept to actually have a minister minister at, at a place of ministry. Yeah, it's like there's one conference that you and I um, have gone to a few times, and like you got to go past the guard to get back to the green room. (laughs) Like they've got bouncers; they literally got bouncers to keep the riffraff away from the the celebrity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's very busy thinking very important thoughts. He must not be bothered. You must not bother the master right now. And you remember that the disciples tried pulling that stuff with Jesus. They're like, no, 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 no one must bother the master. You know, the kids are coming up. No, no, no. The master is busy. He's doing important things for God. Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody slow down. (laughs) What are you doing? Show those kids to me. They're the most important people in the kingdom of heaven. Boom. Mic drop. (laughs) But I think think it's almost really easy to see all the negative side to... Christian celebrity, because you can see how um, it starts to affect, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, if you're available to talk to people, but then it also starts to creep in, in some cases, not all, right, but it does start to creep into what you preach, Uh, you know, you're afraid of offending, you're afraid of losing, you know, the tithers, the guy who's visiting the church or whatever, um, so, I mean, it yeah. can creep in, and it, I mean, I think almost seeing the negative side, it's so easy for us to point that out, because there's a lot of pastors that we can look at. Like, you uh, had to deal with a pastor recently who was like, he didn't want anybody church planting in his area. He's like, this is my area, and, you know, uh, I already set up my flag, there shouldn't be anyone else here. And you yeah. had to go and, and get permission to plant a church. Or I should say they wanted you to get permission, but your your stance is always, look, I'll go and talk to them, but I'm not asking for permission. I'm planting a yeah, church. I'll, there's someone I'll else that I'm... Them. Yeah. There, there's someone and else I'll, that I'll I answer to. to work. Yeah, it'll be like, well, look, you know, there's like you're nine miles away from that neighborhood and we're nine miles away from that neighborhood. Shoot, man, I... I I mean, just because you were here 30 years ago, I would definitely talk to you out of respect. And I would definitely ask that you partner with us and support us. But uh, I'm not asking permission. You know, uh, there's people going to hell there. I got to stand before God just like you and, and answer for why I either didn't do anything about it or stood in other people's way. And I, you're just not that important to me to... Uh, but that's you know, a but that's that's from that celebrity mentality of, you know, I'm th- I've got this denominational foothold. This is my area. This is my turf. I'm the guy. Everyone looks yeah. up to me here, and that's part of that stem from the celebrityhood. It is. It absolutely is. It's uh, yeah, most definitely. One of the guys, you know, my sending pastor. This is kind of the deal. This is what I do love about my sending pastor. Uh, probably more than anything else is the fact that he's on the radio. He's quite well known. You hear his voice and you know exactly who he is. It's kind of like, oh, that's Bill, you know, Bill Welch. Like you can, it's a distinct voice. But when you talk to Bill, 
Bill's just Bill. You know, he's goofing off half the time. You know, he's not uh, he's not arrogant. He's humble. He's, uh, I don't know, man. He's just still a real dude at the end of the day. And I, I really, he gives off that sense of humility. And, you know, I respect that. I think the hard thing is... A large like, part of me, that, by I, the way, a large part of that could be from all the time he spent on the mission field. And I mean, you know, you you kind of, when you spend as many years as he spent on the mission field, not in a mega church, uh, you know, there's kind of already been this base that's been formed. So now that he finds himself, you know, on the radio in a mega church, who he is has already been formed. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's true. I think that, um, you know, for like our church planners, all those years were like, nothing, you know, think of David, right? Where nothing, nothing was going David's way, man. He was, you know, here he's supposed to be king, he's anointed, and he's in the wilderness, and he's, you know, he he can't, he can't even, he can't even catch a break, man. And then, boom, eventually he gets to where he's going. But all those years, a guy named Gene Edwards wrote a book years ago called The Tale of Three Kings. And it was all about how David was taken through this, this process by the Holy Spirit to be, um, to be, uh, well, to, to basically not be made into a Saul. And, and what he says is that he allowed Saul to pursue David. He could have stopped it. He could have killed Saul at any time, but he was concerned about David not becoming a Saul. And because of that, he allows David to get persecuted, to get hunted down, to get speared to the wall, to have all these horrible things happen to him. So that when David himself gets in that position um, of king, he's not the same dude. When he's threatened, you, you even find out when, when, when Absalom rises up, David loves him. And David acts completely opposite of Saul and just keeps trusting in the Lord and keeps handing it over to the Lord. And there's a marked difference between. And I think a lot of, uh, you know, like Whitfield where he was concerned when he got popular, like, this is going to kill me. I don't know if I can take this. Mm. And, and not everyone can. Not everyone can handle that burden of celebrity. Some people are able to do it, but there's usually a, you know, kind of a, uh, a, a very deep work of God that's gone on first. And, um, you know, like, if you look at, if you ever looked at a, a, a 3D image, kind of like a, either an illustration or a model of an oak tree. Um, you see how, how far the, the branches uh, stretch out in all directions. What a lot of people don't realize is the root system is absolutely equal in size underneath the ground as it is to the boughs and the limbs of the tree. It's an identical root structure down below. And that's a part you don't see sometimes. Is it, you know, maybe this dude lost a kid years ago and and went into a deep dark place with god maybe like you said he he, he he was scratching the floorboards with his fingernails crying out that god got him such a failure you know god just you know maybe it's been moses you know i'm not going with you unless you come with me but but often there's a breaking that happens so the guys and then you see other guys where you know that that didn't happen in them they didn't have that time out in the wilderness because they didn't have that time out in the wilderness, they never learned to depend on God, and they weren't ready for the burden when it came. And like Whitfield said, rather than that almost destroyed me, it actually does destroy them. Or at least it makes them jerks. So how did a guy <laughs> like Spurgeon, 
who started so young not become like that? Well, it's funny because exactly what we're talking about. Um, Spurgeon had some very, very hard things happen to him. Um, because I don't, of, I don't know the, anything about his life. I don't know his story. Well, Charles Spurgeon was just so stinking gifted. He had a near photographic memory. He could read something and just remember it. He could literally read an entire book and tell you on what page. You'd be talking to him across the table, and you'd say, you know, I was reading such and such theology book, and uh, I really like this part. And Spurgeon would, would, would say, oh, yeah, I, I read that, page 43, about halfway down in the paragraph. Yeah, that was, that was, really, that was in the argument where he's saying boom, 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 boom. And he would know exactly where it was in the book. Um, and he just never forgot a thing he read. He would preach, and he would use illustrations of sailing on the seas, and sailors would come up to him, because it was London, they'd say, I didn't know you were a sailor. And he goes, I wasn't. And they go, well, how did you know all that? He said, I read a book on it once. And he just imbibed and remembered everything. So he was an incredible, incredible man. Um, you could read his sermons, try to preach like him, but like my old seminary professors used to say to me, uh, they were, uh, all my seminary professors were discipled by Lloyd-Jones. So, uh, you know, I would mention something about Lloyd-Jones, and they'd always look at me and say, yes, but you're not the man Lloyd-Jones was. <laughs> no argument there. Hmm. But uh, especially by guys that were discipled by him. And, and they would say he was, he was a unique man. He had it, and Lloyd-Jones was the same. But what happened was Spurgeon was um, probably, I mean, there was a lot of things that happened to him that took its toll on him. Funny enough, you mentioned about guys taking a stand. He uh, took a stand with the Baptists. It was called the downgrade controversy. And he took a stand for truth towards the end of his life. And they, you know, his biographers attribute that it probably led to an early decline in health for him because it troubled him so much. He loved the Baptist denomination, but he was concerned more about the things, not that they were saying from the pulpit, but the things that they weren't saying. Like they weren't talking about the substitutionary atonement. They weren't talking about the wrath of God. They weren't. They were starting to water down the statements of faith. And, and he kept challenging it. And finally, he, he pulled his church away from the Baptist denomination. It was called the Baptist secession. And so uh, his, his, uh, his heart was broken over it. But, but even way back before that, when he was very young, at the height of his popularity, um, in his chapel, uh, it, it was heaving with people. I think I've mentioned before that so many people would, would come to hear him preach that they would burst at capacity and a, a quarter of the people uh, of the capacity of the building would have to wait outside. I think it was something like 1,500 people. And wow. so he would ask his congregation please rotate how often you come to church. Only come here three times out of the month. And he said, because we, we just can't hold the numbers. The, the, the art system, the, the ferries uh, on the water had to employ extra uh, ferry boats on Sundays because people were crossing the Thames River to get to his church. Well, what happened was on one particular Sunday, there's so many people on the balcony that the balcony actually broke. And... 13 people died. And what, what happened was somebody yelled fire, according to the newspapers, as Spurgeon was preaching. And, and there was a stampede. And, and for some reason, because, I don't know, I guess everyone was stampeding in one area at one time, that's why it broke. 
And so it was probably an agitator, probably a, a, an enemy of the church, the gospel, who had started it. But, um, but when those people died, Charles Spurgeon went into a very dark place afterwards. And um, he went into a deep depression. And so Spurgeon, in, uh, in The Minister's Fainting Fits, is a chapter in Lectures to My Students. Um, in that chapter, uh, Spurgeon actually says, I have known times of such deep, dark, black periods of depression in my life that I despaired of life. And, uh, and, and he was just, he was bad. I mean, he, he didn't want to get out of bed. He was, he was clinically depressed. But what Satan used to do to him, if you read the autobiography, his wife mentions that uh, he felt it was his fault. He, even though he knew logically it wasn't his fault, the enemy would come to him and attack him. You know, if, if, if you were a great man of God, and his theology was stronger than this, but sometimes we get in a weird place where, yeah, but, you know, we, 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 it's, it's, it's feeling that these people all came to hear me preach, and they're dead now. And, mm. and that weighed on him. And he went through this deep depression for years, and, um, and it would come back. And that was, as a very young man, that was a, that was a crushing weight on him. He had to take time off. Um, and, and so I would say for him, that was very much a breaking period. When I, I can't remember how, how old he was. He was still young. He, I think he might have been 19, but I might be making that up. But he was quite young when that happened, and it was just a lot for a young man to take. And uh, the other thing that Spurgeon had, and this is what I love about him, this is why I relate to him, he had the best sense of humor. And I think for, for people that are raised up young, they develop a sense of humor where they don't take themselves too seriously. And um, you have to. You have to laugh. For me, I developed a sense of humor. Uh, I would be 21 years old preaching to a church of a 1,000 people um, on a Sunday, and I, I was way out of my depth. And, and, and I, would, I, I don't have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, but, man, did I feel like it on those days. Um, I, I just would – it was hard. The amount of stress that put on me as a young dude, it, it was a big deal. And um, that's that's not me crying, I, I by the way. The mouth right now. That's What's not that? that's not me crying, by the way. Are you the, whimpering, you're so touched by my story about Charles Spurgeon. Yeah, that's it. My <laughs> daughter is like all over me, and you know, so she's cute, man. Your daughter's cute. She's got a great shirt. It says, "I don't need a prince. I have daddy." Yeah, boy. Oh man, we sported the uh, the. Uh, I'm Daddy's Princess shirt, and it's got a little cartoon picture of Princess Leia. Oh yeah. Oh nice, nice. It's I a pink onesie. One. It probably fit your daughter before too long. I might just need to float that over to you. <laughs> Jamie hates all the presents you give. They're always Star Wars. <laughs> Absolutely. I love how on Facebook right now people are going. They're tagging us. Hey, Pete, this is for you. <laughs> I know. I know. Anything Star Wars related, we get tagged. I love it. Absolutely. That was actually one of my so, clients in uh, Florida. He listens to the podcast, and uh, but he's a marketing client of mine, so it's kind of funny, you know. Broke the, that's uh, awesome, man. I remember seeing a comment on uh, iTunes where it was like, "These guys love church planning and they love Star Wars." <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's actually so, one of the things I meant to do in the Smack Talk was uh, 
I want to start reading our reviews and giving props to the people who are leaving us uh, great comments. And I totally forgot, but absolutely, we can do that at the end because I wanted to. I wanted to talk about a couple things at the end here, but before we do, I want to say a sense of humor. I think guys like Spurgeon, you learn to take God very seriously, and I, I hope this is something that I'm always an example of. You take God very seriously, but you learn to not take yourself very seriously at all. And guys I respect, guys like R.C. Sproul, um, R.C. Sproul is one of the greatest thinkers of our day. Uh, and, and, and definitely, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest thinker in Christianity. Um, the guy, whether you agree with his theology and you're reformed or not, it doesn't matter. The guy is a genius. And I'm grateful for guys like him. But one thing I know about that dude, I've met him a couple different times in different scenarios. He's so humble. He's so relatable. Hmm. He started his ministry with college students, and that just never has left him. He's, he has such a love for young people, and he's so down to earth. I haven't met um, Dr. Uh, Tim Keller yet, but I'd imagine he's kind of the same. And, um, you know, he, he just seems he's a dude in Manhattan. He can't take himself that serious. You know, he has to be relatable, but... But the thing about Spurgeon, though, Spurgeon had such a great sense of humor. And, um, and Rick Warren has one, too. I just think that becomes a survival skill um, that you just learn most of the way. Yeah, so I, I think you need to develop a sense of humor to um, deal with most of the stuff in life that's heavy. I think pastors need that. We've talked about that before, but... Um, for me, man, as a firefighter and as a nurse, I had to develop that. But I think Spurgeon, anytime you're in like, you know, uh, extreme pressure situations, um, you need that. And so I think with the um, amount of people looking at you all the time, like Spurgeon had, there's just a lot of pressure. But I definitely think that his sense of humor was a survival skill. That's how I see it. Almost like how I was saying he, he doesn't take himself too seriously but he takes God very seriously. And I think, you know, that's part of the, the, the joy of being a human being is that God gave us laughter. Um, and, and, and this kind of comes back into the whole idea of being authentic. Um, our, our, you know, a lot of the guys that went before us, bless them. They were good Bible teachers. They were awesome pastors. They were, they were good men, but we never got to know, who they were. In other words, I mean, I'll never forget talking to uh, a counselor. Andrew and I, in our early days, we were sent to a marriage counselor uh, who was like the marriage counselor for pastors. My pastor had fallen due to the moral failure and our board when I was, it looked like I was going to be the next pastor. They're like, look, you can't afford to get this wrong. And we were fighting a lot anyway. So we go to this guy and it's like, you know, it's great timing for us, but um, I'll never forget him saying, because I, I asked him, you know, something about our fights. And I said, that's pretty bad. Huh? And he just shook his head and said, you would not believe the number of pastors that sit in the chair you're in right now that are 10 times worse um, than you guys. And they're all over the radio and they've written books. What did, what did he tell you who they are? Can we get their names? Yeah, I had to give him an extra twenty dollars uh, for that session, but yeah, he gave me a list. He he had him Xerox. I guess I wasn't the first guy that asked, <laughs> but uh, he's got a little side business going there. He's like, he, without hesitation, he goes twenty dollars, just leave it on the desk. 
And uh, yeah, so anyways, and he, and he just said, I'm not saying I'm giving you, I'm just saying if I happen to turn away and you grab that piece of paper I put up there, it's no, I'm teasing, but the uh, anyways, so I, I think the generation that went before us for all the good that they did, that I'm extremely, I'm not trying to knock. I just think that this generation right now, they don't, they don't buy it. If you're not sharing your weaknesses, if you're not telling people, look, I get it wrong. If you're not honest about those things, you're just telling humorous anecdotes about your kids and about your this and that, um, your pets. And you're, you're never, it's what you're not saying. You're not ever getting real with your people. The younger generation today just doesn't want to hear it. And, um, and I think that, that, that authenticity is part of what keeps the celebrity dangers at bay. If you can not be affected by it, not believe your own press, not, um, you, you just, you learn to just say, you know, that's cool. That's cool that, that you guys like the fact that I can talk, but that's just the fact that I can talk. Um, this, there's really not a bunch of value in that, you know, but who I really am, like, I love, I was watching um, Will Smith. Will Smith was on uh, Jimmy Fallon, right? Greatest Tonight Show host that ever lived. He really uh, is, isn't he? He's amazing, dude. He I is thought, amazing. I thought no one would ever be better than David Letterman, and he's pretty much, like, he's just been phoning in his performances for, like, the last five, ten years, it seems. But Jimmy Fallon uh, is just on fire. He's incredible. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So he was talking, you know, he was talking to uh, Will Smith. And Will Smith was on there. And, of course, you know, he's Will Smith, right? Like, everyone's super excited. He comes out. He just drips cool, right? And he's he, everybody loves Will Smith. How can you not like Will Smith? And so Will Smith was just up there, and he's talking. And at one point, he just said, you know, he goes, in my house, he goes, I'm not cool. I'm not cool. I'm, I'm the dude that keeps the lights turned on. And then he said, you know, I, he was just talking about how they, he's a real dude at home and none of his family's impressed with him. And he said that, that really grounds you when, when you have a family. And I always think about that when I'm looking out at people, you know, that maybe the, the woman there fantasizes that you're the perfect husband because from the pulpit, the things you say, and then you seem like when you're switched on as a pastor, you seem like you listen so well. And that's another reason guys don't ever uh, counsel women. Um, don't, don't be that guy, right. Who's the perfect listener for her. Is that because they're um, beyond no. help? Because they're what? Beyond help? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, kidding. It, it, it's a joke. Of course. I know. I know, but I know I'm, I'll I'm get more saying, hate mail, whatever. I'm nah, used to it. No, nah, you won't. Not at all. Not for that. But no, but the, the thing is, is it interestingly it's, enough, no uh, woman has ever said that about me after listening to the podcast. Go figure. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's kind of like um, you, you have to share your weaknesses. And I think as a church planner, particularly a serial church planner, you do that because you are looking to move on anyway. So you although you want to be an example to the people Sometimes you need to be an example of grace. I mean, look at everybody God puts in the scripture. He tells them they're knuckleheads. And sometimes I look at those leaders in the Bible and I go, that guy's a knucklehead and God still loved him and still used him. Wow, there's hope for me. And so we have to be careful that the example 
we're setting isn't one of perfection. I mean, Paul got stuff wrong and Luke writes it down. You know, he's like, oh, Paul lost his temper and smart mouth off to the to the uh, high priest in the fit of temper. I better put that in there. I'm going to write that down. That's good stuff. So he writes it down. And now we have an inscription. I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. So sometimes Paul lost his cool in front of people. That's good because you know what? I worked so hard on not losing my, my cool at people. I yelled at a pastor not long ago on the phone. Told me he needed to repent. <laughs> I remember. And and yeah, yeah, like, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't. Oh, man, maybe I shouldn't even be in ministry. And then I'm like, no, you're human, man. Like, just remember you're human, you know? So, I don't know. I, I think authenticity is... What would you say are, how how do you safeguard, like these guys right now, whatever stage they're at in their church plant, just getting started, or maybe they've been going for a while, a few years, how do they safeguard? What what are the things that they should put into place to keep them from becoming a celebrity-minded, obsessed type of pastor? Yeah. Well, I think one of the, the key things, you know, it's funny, you and I um, got off a call today for jump school with Joe Hughes. And when you're in community um, with people, uh, you, you, it keeps you grounded too. Same with your wife, you know, um, it's the same idea. You're living in close quarters of people. You can only hide so much. If I'm up front or I'm just seeing you on Sundays, I can hide from but if I'm living in community with you, you're going to see me when I'm grumpy. You're going to see me when I answer my child shortly. You know, you're going to see when I just, you know, I, I'm insensitive. Someone's sharing something and I quickly turn and talk to someone else or um, maybe I change the subject. So it's back to me again. And people are going to start seeing your junk. You can only hide that for so long. And so um, what, what I find is when you're living in a, a small, well, what I'm trying to say is you need to have a small group as a leader. You, you know, I meet with these guys every Monday and you know, this is funny because I'm not a celebrity. Like, I mean, you and I do the podcast in the magazine. And I'm an author, but I am far from being a Christian celebrity. So please understand what we're talking right now. I'm not on the podcast going, me as a celebrity. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying as a leader, right? As That's a funny leader because I where, never took it as you being a celebrity. Well, I'm just saying that thoughts that, never you know, crossed my mind. Well, okay. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, as I'm talking, I'm not talking from experience as a celebrity. That's not what I'm, I'm just talking about my experience as a leader. Like these things play in ironically, even when you're dealing with smaller crowds, you know, maybe, maybe you have the smartest guy in the room syndrome where you just, you know, you walk in and you're like, I'm the pastor. I'm the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that, that whole thing. But I think when you get into a community group with people that are, are, um, leaders like you and they know all the, the, they've got the same issues they're dealing with, they'll call you on it, man. They'll, they'll take you aside and say, Hey man, I, I think you got some issues that, uh, and, and I do this community group where we share our junk dude on a regular basis with each other. And, um, we, we share the stuff we're struggling with hmm. and, um, and and I think that's key because you're being reminded every single week with a bunch of leaders that just, it's kind of how you and I said on the last podcast, just the right amount of respect and disrespect. I, I want to be around people who aren't impressed with me, if that makes sense. I, that, and you, you and I have been friends for years now. 
you know, I don't walk around being like, Hey dude, you got to respect me. Like, I just want to be, you don't have a lot of friends in ministry. You don't have people that will just let you be a human being. And so you need that. You need to just be a real person. You need to be in a group like that. And I think a lot of ministers, they're so afraid of people stabbing them in the back. They're so afraid of getting hurt. And it's really a type of cowardice. And they run from uh, relationships that would keep them grounded. And then pretty soon they're isolated. Their their egos out of control because no one's speaking truth into their life. They might be a Christian celebrity, which we said in and of itself isn't bad, but they're acting like celebrities. They want the blue M&Ms. They're sending the writer out. They won't mix with the commoners and the peasants. That's when it starts stinking, mm. you know. And they just needed people to keep them grounded. Yep, yep. That's that's probably all we have time for, huh? That is. Um, you said, I don't even know if you remember now, but you said you had some other things you wanted to bring up at the end. I don't <laughs> know if you remember what they were at this point. or I do. I do. And they're complete nonsense. And they probably should go on a smack talk. Maybe next time we do it, if if, if there's no time. We I don't did know. cut down the smack you. talk. I'm just saying. We did cut it down. We so. did. No, that was great. But then I kind of missed it. But uh, I wanted, I wanted maybe for maybe for next podcast we can make a list, or we can do it now. We can do like rapid fire lists or something. Um, I, I was thinking this week it'd be so fun to talk with Pete about ten things that this younger generation doesn't know, and it came from you going, "Oh, dude, they're not going to know who Mr. Miyagi was when we do the squish like mm. grape." Uh, they're not. That would be a great. Yeah, it's sad and. and, and I uh, know. Excuse me. There's my uh, there's my uh, my burp again. <laughs> I burped on a guest tonight in our podcast. I love it. I love busy it. water, busy water. But uh, but yeah, man. I mean, I want to do the the ten things that people that the kids now like the the young leaders coming up that they don't know that we do. It makes us so much cooler than them. Well, what would you say? Like, give me a couple of yours. All right. So one one would have been Ralph Macchio and the Karate Kid. They don't know that. Like when you said that, I'm like, can that be right? Oh, that's totally. wrong. Like it, it, we should not live in a world. Do you want to know another know. one? They don't know who Lieutenant Pete Mitchell is. <laughs> no kidding, huh? No, that movie was 1986. Top Gun was 1986. Tom Cruise played Lieutenant Pete Mitchell, Maverick. In the movie. Whoa. Well, dude, I got a weird little twist of destiny for you. What's that? You ready for it? Yes. You're Pete Mitchell. I know. I'm planting an Oceanside. <laughs> Miramar. Whoa. <laughs> I'm Goose, baby. I'm Goose. <laughs> you're either Goose or you're Iceman. I don't know which, but if you're Goose, you're going to be dead soon. I'm just saying. It doesn't turn out well I'm for Goose. I'm just saying. I'm your wingman. That's all I know. Hey, I'm, I'm not playing Ice, man. Is that little weird thing he does with his gum? Uh-uh. Yeah, no, I can't be him. You can be my wingman anytime. <laughs> that sounded weird. I'm just saying. That's another movie that they don't know. Predator, they don't know. Um, the original okay. Total Recall, they don't know. No, they don't. I didn't see the second one, but uh, yeah, you're right. They don't. They don't know He Man, Master of the Universe. That's just wrong. 
No, that was like early 80s, wasn't it? Voltron? Do they even yeah. know what Voltron is? Oh, dude, they don't know Voltron. No, wait a second now. Wait a second. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Can you handle it? Listen. From days upon the call. Can you hear it? Yes. From the universe comes a legend. The legend of Voltron, defender <laughs> of the universe. Okay, this podcast has officially gone downhill. It's it's almost over. Okay, I just had to hear him say form blazing sword. You so, know, everyone uh, right now is wondering how in the world you've got Voltron while you're driving. <laughs> I have a little secret. I got home. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still talking on my phone. So here's the deal. Voltron is actually, uh, he's in my office, so. Hey, hey, but next time we do this podcast, I I got a date, man. We're making this a date. The 10 things. Dude, we got to talk about ninja shows. We got to talk. Dude, we got stuff to talk about. I love the original original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies were awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Anything Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I'm just saying. This last one put me to sleep. It literally put me to sleep. Yeah, but my daughter freaking loved it. So we're good. We're good. A, a new generation is, is has emerged. It's kind of like the kids nowadays that are really into Star Wars, right? And uh, see, Pete, we can't help ourselves. We're back to smack talk again. We have smack talk withdrawals. I told you we just got to do a podcast. It's about smack talk. That has nothing to do with I ministry. Know. Be true to yourself, baby. Be true. Oh, you're right. You're right. I can't wait. I can't wait. But, uh, yeah, it's like the Star Wars, man. The newer stuff they're kicking out is spawning a new generation of followers. And we just get to turn them on to the old stuff. That's all. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what we're doing with Church Plant. And you guys with all your newfangled ideas and your books and your hooks. Hey, Jay, man, the old ways are best. We're going to take you back to first century. You've been listening to the Church Planner podcast. And this has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching. You need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church Planner Magazine.